0: So tonight, um, I do, I want to bring in some of the stories of the first Buddhist women. And um, to begin with, I'd like to share a few of these first Buddhist women's um, awakening poems. So this is... um, part of the tradition that uh, and I'm not sure where this comes from if it has roots and and that go beyond Buddhism and has something more to do with the time but that when people would awaken that they would recite or they would um bring forward these poems and then they were recorded and we have quite a few of the first uh the poems of the first women nuns and and um even lay people who awoke. And their beautiful, pithy teachings. So I'm gonna read these to you. And these are from the Terragata, which is the Verses of the Elder Nuns. So this one is, um, we're not sure who it's from, it's listed as anonymous. Rest my heart, wrapped in these simple robes you sewed yourself Like a pot of herbs left cooking overnight, that which was boiling has boiled away. That which was on fire has all turned to ash. That's how she described her awakening experience. Here's another one. This nun's name is Chitta, which is heart. Somehow I kept climbing though tired, hungry, and weak, old too. At the top of the mountain, I spread my robe, my outer robe on a rock to dry, set down my staff and bow, took a deep breath and looked around. It was windy up there as I was leaning back against a large gray rock. The The darkness I had carried up and down, a million mountains, slipped off my shoulders and swept itself away on the wind. Just so beautiful and vivid. You can hear all the nature that is influencing their practice and their awakening stories. You know, that first one talking about cooking, being around the fire. This is the nun, Sama. After 25 years on the path, I experienced almost everything except peace. When I was young, my mother told me that I would find true happiness only in marriage. Remembering her words all those years later, something in me began to tremble. I gave myself to the trembling and it showed me all the pain this little heart had ever known and how countless lives of searching had brought me at last to the present moment, which I happily married. Can you imagine? We've been living together ever since without a single argument." (laughs) I think that's one of my favorites. (laughs) So um, you can hear just the humanness in all of that. And it brings to life, I find when I read these, it just brings to life these women who were practicing at a time that is very different from from now. It was not like it is now. Um, Just the courage that it took to walk this path, to even leave home, to become ordained, to become uh, nuns, just the, the courage that that took. And then what unfolded from that, that they, they uh, the wisdom that, that comes forward gets captured in these little sound bites. And so I read those and we can be transported right in front of these incredible women. So I want to talk about two women in particular The first woman uh, I'll say a bit about is Maha Pajapati Gautami, who um, is the mother of women in Buddhism. It's, It's because of her that women can practice in the way that we do, that women have been able to ordain since the time of the Buddha which was um, pretty radical, incredibly radical for the time and then even moving through time. um, In some ways there's something still very radical about that. So she was given this name at the time of her birth and Pajupati means leader of great assembly it was foretold by a fortune teller when, before she was born that this child that was coming was going to be this great leader of many, many people. And so she came into this world kind of with that already uh, being known. And so I, I, I think that's important that you know, this, this woman who broke a lot of barriers, um, in a way she was, she was destined to do this in some way that there's, I imagine her having this confidence somewhere, just saying her own name. Oh yeah, this is is what I'm meant to do. This is who I'm meant to be. And then Maha means great or high. So she was this great leader of a great assembly. That's her name. So she was married to a chief in the Sakya clan And her husband is the Buddha's father. So she's the Buddha's aunt. And the other woman I wanna bring in is the mother of the Buddha, Maya. So Maya was also married to the Sakya chief. And so the two sisters lived uh, side by side and uh, in the same household. And it was Maya who got pregnant first. And so as part of the tradition of of that time, women who became pregnant would then travel and at the very end of their pregnancy to their family's home to give birth to the baby. So they wouldn't give birth necessarily where they were living um, with with their husband, but they would go on these journeys. So you can imagine I, rem- I remember being <laughs> nine months pregnant. I can't even imagine going on a journey. I don't even, you know, they won't even let you on a plane now. <laughs> and these women would would journey to their hometown. And so that's what she did. And she never made it. She didn't quite make it. She, um, she ended up in Lambini Gardens uh, and gave birth to... Siddhartha, Siddhartha, who became the Buddha later, and um, these gardens are still here. They're still marked in India. It's a it's a place um, where people take pilgrimage pil- pilgrimage to. Um, uh, you can still go and see this this spot where the Buddha was given birth. So the story of, uh, of Maya is very short. We don't have a lot of information about who she really was and what she was like. Um, mostly what's offered is that we know that um, she gave birth to the Buddha, but even in the way that that's told, the way that she conceived him and the way she gave birth to him um, is very it's it's told in a mythological way, um, so I thought I'd read something uh, that Anne Cushman wrote, and she's written this beautiful book, The Mama Sutra, which I love and highly recommend. And I'm not going to actually read this from here, but um, it's it's she wrote this article for uh, TriCycle. In tandem with this book. And so she really pulled the content from this book. So you'll get a, a sense of it from what I'm gonna read. So um, this is from Tricycle. Uh, it's called How a Mother Would Tell the Story, Tell the Buddha's Birth Story: A Meditation Teachers Reimagining the Birth of Siddhartha Gautama from Queen Maya's Perspective. So I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but uh, here's here's the description. There's different ways this is told, but this is how she tells the story from what's offered in the suttas. So Queen Maya carried her baby inside her for 10 lunar months and then, as was the custom, set out to return to her mother's home to give birth. Along the way, she stopped in a grove of salt trees and, delighted by their beauty, decided to give birth there, standing up and holding on to a branch. According to the story, the baby prince emerged from her right side, took seven steps, and proclaimed, I am the world honored one. A few days later, her mission accomplished, Queen Maya died. So then, this is Anne's voice coming in. To me, this sounds like a version of a myth told by a man who was never given birth. The male baby is the hero of the story, not the mother who gave him life from her body. The woman in this perspective, oh, in this passive vessel for a man's awakening journey, not a heroine embarked on her own grueling quest to become fully alive. It's a story stripped of longing, passion, pain, the mess and tangle of human hearts and human relationships, just as surely as it is stripped of sweat, vaginal juices, amniotic fluid, and blood and tears. So that gives you a flavor of, of her perspective on this. So then I'd like to read you her story, um, her reimagined story. Of the Buddha's birth told from the viewpoint of Maya. This, of course, is, you know, from, from Anne Cushman's imagination. And in it, and what you learn through the Mama Sutra book is that she's taking her own experience of, of losing a child um, in birth, um, of having another child in the pain of all of that, that loss. And all the unknown that she experienced through that just um, is, is it's intertwined with the story that she reimagines for Maya. So, this is her story. She pushes for hours and no child came out. She forgot that she was the wife of a great chief, the queen of the Sakya clan. She screamed and wept she could not bear another lost child. Fearing he would be blamed for the death of the queen, the charioteer fled, leaving his sword for the women to protect themselves as best they could. The queen's sister-in-law, so this is Maha Pajipati, whispered in her ear, the gates of your womb are open, but it is not a child's head, but a foot that is emerging. Maya tried to smile, trying to walk before he is born. But Pajipati did not smile in return. The baby is trapped between two worlds. He cannot live halfway in and halfway out. If he stays here, if he stays there, he will die and likely you will too. Is there nothing we can do? She gazed into the queen's eyes. With the sword of the charioteer, I can slice open your side and release the child that way, and it can live. And I Ajipati took her hit took her head. The queen did not hesitate. Sister, get the sword. So it gives a very different flavor from what we're used to. <laughs> When we hear the stories of women at the time of the Buddha, um, there's uh, grit to these stories. Even, even if it's reimagined, it certainly brings more truth than, than the, the stories that have come out of, out of history and, and certainly told by men. The story of of the Buddha and how he came out into the world, even though it's known that he really was just a man who was extraordinary and did wake up and became the Buddha um, and has left an imprint on this world uh, like few do. Uh, But even still he was born of a woman and through her her efforts and and through her own pain. And actually in the end, through her own life, he came into this world. So that is Maya. So then he, so Siddhartha was then uh, raised by his aunt. And um, his aunt became his caregiver. She uh, became his mother. And at some point um, Siddhartha left his clan. He left uh, his home to uh, go on this journey for awakening and it took him some time. Uh, he, he took many different paths to come to that point, but finally came to um, the, the greatest realization and, and did awaken. And after he awoke, he came back. He came back home. And that was the first time that his family had seen him. And he went to his mother, uh, Mahapajipati, and his father. And he taught to them. It said that he preached to them. And this was um, a, a family that was known for their religious conservatism in the, in, or secular conservatism. They weren't very religious. That they um uh, were much more secular uh, than that and so it's it must have been really striking whatever it was um, that that gripped them because both of them converted within that first teaching. Um, whether it's just the change that they saw in their son that they realized he wasn't really the same man that he was before, um, there was something that they saw that was really true and, They converted, as did many of the the people in the Sakya uh, clan,
1: men and women.
0: So by the time he had returned and then he left again, uh, Mahapajipati was in her 60s. So she was an older woman, it said she lived to 120. So she wasn't that old, <laughs> but she was and she was an older woman. She wasn't bearing children anymore. Her children were older. Um, she did have two children of her own. Um, and then she had her grandchild, um, the Buddha's son, Rahula. So all of them living together, uh, she had a son and she had a daughter. All of them together, and her husband. But when um, when the Buddha left, many of the men left too and became ordained and followed him, including her son and her grandson. And then soon after that, it said that her husband died, and so she was left um, without, you know, her children. We say now they left the nest; <laughs> they flew the nest. Right. So she had she had an empty nest Um, and then also the sadness of her husband's death. Um, She was really alone in many ways, although she was surrounded by the women who were also left by their family, by the men and their families. And so these women would come to her. She was greatly revered. She had um, this connection with the Buddha. Um, as well as she was the the wife of the clan chief. And so she was greatly respected. These women would come to her asking for advice um, on all sorts of things. It said they would come to her advice around uh, what to do, you know, now that their their husbands, their family have left, um, how to protect themselves. But they also came to her for spiritual advice, and so you can imagine um, these women sitting around doing what women do today when we come together and we talk about our families and we talk about our lives and we, we help each other. Um, it's what we do with the Saya Sangha. You know, we had our Sunday gathering. Those of you who were there all sitting around in the circle and and connecting and being a community creating refuge together. So you can imagine the tradition of that going even far beyond the time of the Buddha and it being enacted at this time in this particular family. So many women coming to Pajipati's um, home for support, uh, there's a book called uh, The First Buddhist Women uh, written by Susan Murcott, that I highly recommend. Uh, she, I, I'll quote her here talking about, about the, the leaving of all these men in the family and then what's left. So this left Pajipati, she says, without the web of family connections that gave every woman in that society her identity and security. So that I, I, I think there's some real truth to that here. I've, I've talked to um, a few women in our community who have been experiencing that of kids leaving the home of, or something changing in their life, in their home life, in their career that where their identity suddenly feels shaky. You know, who am I if I'm not this? And so we can imagine Pajipati going through that as well as these other women. And just, you know, the dissonance between her devotion to the Buddha at this point, she's now a practitioner of the Buddha, but also, you know, being left behind. They were left behind. It's also important to note to note here, because this isn't spoken about a lot in the suttas, it's just mentioned but that the Buddha had a wife as well, who he left, uh, Yashodara, (laughs) I think I'm saying that right, Yashodara. So she was left, her child left, her son Rahula, and that the Buddha also had a harem of women. So he was a prince of this clan and that this was not uncommon to have many women. And I do find it interesting is probably the nice way to put it. <laughs> I find it interesting that these women are talked about very little in terms of their time in the harem. We don't have um, we don't have their stories at that time. Um, actually, they're really referred to mostly through, the story of the Buddha having before he left uh, the, 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 um, his home, that he had all of everything that he could desire, including all of these women. So that's that's all we really hear about them is they're they're the product of his desire. But their women, their people, they all had stories. And actually, the truth is that most of them in the end became ordained nuns and very awake beings. So how we hold them in these stories, I think is very important that we don't separate, that these are two different groupings of women. These are the same women whose early life stories, and even after they became nuns, a lot of them, the stories are lost. So soon after all these men left and uh, the Buddha left, they were traveling, they're living the life of homelessness is often how it's put in the suttas. Um, To to live the life of homelessness means to become a monastic, to become a monk. Um, So during that time, there another major event happened, there was um, a huge dispute between the Sakya clan and a neighboring clan about uh, around water rights, who got to use the well, is is my understanding. So the Buddha was brought back in uh, to create peace among the two clans. He was connected with both of these clans. and. And he did this, he, he gave a very powerful teaching and uh, all the men who were fighting put down their weapons and it said they they there was peace again. And then what happened from there is many of them ordained and they left and they went in to, to practice under the guidance of the Buddha. And so who was left? <laughs> all these women. So it's said that at this point uh, they were all coming or, or many of them were coming to Mahapajipati, and that there were uh, 500 women at this point that were practicing or, or that were going to her that were under her care and protection. And 500 apparently is a number that was used often at this time to mean many. So we don't exactly know how many, but it was a lot. It was a lot of women that were now from these two tribes, these two clans coming together, um, not sure what to do next. So as they came to her for life advice, she began to teach them and teach them um, the teachings of the Buddha. So it's all there's some irony there, (laughs) just how this all played out. So I'll I'll read you another quote here. Um, This again is from First Buddhist Women from Susan Marcotte. She's speaking about these five hundred women. She says the longing of these women, whatever form it took, became their spiritual aspiration. So this uh, before actually I kind of cut this part out, but she's talking about they came with so much um, anxiety and. You know, fear and un- doubt, all this uncertainty, and that brought them into the spiritual relationship, and it it fired up their spiritual aspiration. It said, all had personal stories, most of which are not are now lost, and a particular experience of what the Buddha called the first noble truth. So they these women they hold. a a very particular experience of the first noble truth of of dukkha, of suffering. So this is what motivated them to join with Pajipati. And it was through that, this very radical time, this um, time of real uncertainty, that Maha Pajipati knew what needed to be done. She knew what she wanted to do. So she went to the Buddha and she said, and this is in the suttas, it would be good if women could be allowed to renounce their homes and enter into the homeless state under the Dharma and discipline of the Tathagata. The Tathagata is um, the word referring to the Buddha. So going into this homeless state, going into monastic life. So she's saying, this would be a good thing. This is what we need to do. But the Buddha replies, enough, Gautami. Don't set your heart on women being allowed to do this. So then she goes to him again two more times. And each time he says the same thing, he denies her request. So it's told that she then goes back in tears. There's a number of times through the story of, of Mahapajipati, that she's in tears. They're, her feelings are, are coming through. So there's, um, I don't get this sense of this stoic, um, hyper-masculine uh, woman. I, I see, I hear that feminine side of, of emotion, of that connection, of um, being vulnerable and, and letting that show. So she goes back to the women and she's, she won't be denied. (laughs) She has those who will follow her. They cut their hair, which is incredibly radical, not only for women, but for, for men too. That was, that was something, uh, that very much distinguished the Buddha's uh, the Buddha's uh, following, his monks, that they had shaved heads. So they cut their hair, they shaved their heads, they put on saffron robes, they walked, they journeyed to the Buddha. So you can imagine, we'll say 500 women, because <laughs> we don't know the full number, with their shaved heads in these robes, barefoot walking on the ground to to the Buddha. And so it's said that they finally reach the Buddha and that their feet and their ankles are swollen by just how far they had to go. And uh, they're waiting for an audience with the Buddha to hear his, his response. And it's not the Buddha that comes out, it's his attendant Ananda. And Ananda is this character in the suttas who is often very beloved because he's just so human and not awake, (laughs) but he's also all heart. He has so much heart and he often is going to people who are in need and then bringing them to the Buddha or the Buddha to them. So that becomes part of his role throughout the suttas. So he does this here. He goes to Mahapajipati and says, What's, what is this, what's happening, what's wrong? And it's said that the women are there and they're waiting and they're crying, that there's tears coming down. They just, they, they know they need to be here. And they, you know, their heart is just coming out that this is what needs, they, they need to do. So they, um, Ananda listens to their story and then is very moved and he goes to the Buddha and says, this is what needs to be done, this would be good. And they have this discussion and the Buddha's not sure. And it's something to know about the time of the Buddha, that the the caste system was very much in play. And certainly um, then just the place of women was not equal, at least in this this area, to my knowledge. in India, Nepal. And so um, just having a grouping of, of um, monks following him that were of all different castes, that there, there was no caste system within um, uh, the Buddhist community that he did away with that. That in itself was totally radical. And so he and, and Ananda are now having this back and forth, like we can't do this too, (laughs) this would be too much. But Ananda brings up, he says, he says, are women able, when they've entered into homelessness, able to realize the fruits of stream entry, once returning, non-returning, and arhatship? Basically, these are the stages of enlightenment. And the Buddha responds, yes, they are able. And then it's from that perspective that Ananda wins him over and the Buddha realizes this is the right thing to do. And the women are um, ordained and start the first community of Buddhist nuns. So it's said at that point, um, Mahapajipati was given more instruction on how to practice. And she took to the practice full-heartedly as you would imagine. She's completely given her life over to this. And she awakens. She becomes known as an awakened one. And so this is her awakening poem. And she starts with a gratitude to the Buddha. Homage to you, Buddha best of all creatures who set me and many others free from pain. All pain is understood. The cause, the craving is dried up. The Noble Eightfold Ways unfolds. I've reached the state where everything stops. I have been mother, son, father, brother, grandmother. Knowing nothing of the truth I journeyed on, but I have seen the blessed one. This is my last body. So she's talking about reincarnation, that she's awake. She's not coming back. And I will not go from birth to birth again. Look at the disciples all together. So now she's addressing all these women, their energy, their sincere effort. This is homage to the Buddhas. Maya gave birth to Gautama, that's that's the Buddha, for the sake of us all, she has driven back the pain of the sick and the dying. So she then uh, turns it to really giving thanks to Maya for giving birth and going through what she went through. So this this is the story of the mother, of of Buddhist women. So when we talk about our founding mothers for this community, this is the ultimate founding mother. <laughs> hmm. So I think I'll stop there. And I'll I'll say there are there are other stories too of the first Buddhist women, but this is this is a good starting point. I'd love to hear your thoughts. How does this land for you? What does this bring up for you? What does it remind you of? What does it bring you into contact with within yourself? Hearing these stories.
1: Yeah, Joni. I remember being on retreat and I don't remember what the Dharma talk was about, and there was a discussion afterwards, but it was something about um, families and children. And I said, I really have a hard time taking advice about families and relationships from somebody who left his wife and child. And if I had gotten an answer like, well, Here's a woman you could look to as perhaps a, a different, you know, another part of the Buddhist tradition, in the spiritual side who stepped in. Um, that would have been really satisfying to have heard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that. I didn't, I got a lot of pushback. Yeah. And kind of like, oh, how dare you question, you know, the great Buddha. It's like, let's just be real here.
0: Uh-huh. You
1: no, know, because as a mother, as a caregiver, as a member of a family, I I do look to for role models and I would never dream of looking to the Buddha for advice about family stuff in that way. I mean other things for sure, but mm-hmm. hmm. yeah, yeah, I
0: think that's fair. There are teachings uh, of him and his son that are quite sweet later, but he missed um, quite a few years of his son uh, being very little and then fathered him later. But it's um, it's really true, he, he left, he did. Yeah, he did. Mm. and there's, uh, there are women's voices. We have to seek them out, unfortunately, that they're not in the forefront, um, but there are women's voices and, and um, more, mo- more modern uh, awakened women, as well as women from the time of the Buddha that we can learn so much from. So it is, it is there is available, we have to look for it. Yeah, Mel. Oh, and Jeannie, how about Mel and then Jeannie? Well, I just found this really interesting. I worked with um, Catholic nuns for five years and um, yeah, there's a lot of, it's a very different situation. um it's just, yeah, I was just thinking a lot about there's a lot of similarities also um, in, in the empowerment stories, but with a hierarchy that's much more human made, so all of the complexities that that entails. So it was just yeah. really interesting. I kind of want to send this to a few of the sisters that I've worked with. <laughs> that's great to see what they think. Right. Yeah, you know, that hierarchy still exists. And um, some of you have been part of um, or, or have followed the journey of, of the nuns, um, like Ayananda Bodhi um, and her community. And there's others as well, um, other communities of, of Buddhist nuns who are primarily Western Buddhist nuns um, who, uh, in the Thai tradition, who are were not given permission to fully ordain, take full ordination, until more recently. Um, and 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 what that's cost them in some ways, there's been some isolation from some of that of the. Um, lineage especially in Thailand um, but then also what that they've gained from from stepping forward and saying this isn't okay this is we, there's a way to to reignite this lineage which was broken and um, they found a way to reignite it and so and they're here they're here in California I'm hoping Ayananda Bodhi and maybe some of her sisters will come and teach with us be really great. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's something that at some point, we could do a pilgrimage to them. It'd be very nice. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Jeannie, did you have a last?
1: Yeah, yeah, just quickly. I just appreciate Uh, you know, going back, I'd heard that story, part of the story, but not as clearly and as uh, fleshed out, Um, you know, and to think of the lineage that we're, that you have brought with the founding mothers and we as uh, members and our, you know, grandchildren, um, you know, trying to carry the lineage forward as well. Um, So thanks for connecting all the dots I know there's many missing, but... There's many dots. <laughs> Even but. the
0: story that I told is, is somewhat abridged because of time. Yes. But yes. Um, I I do recommend, if you are um, interested in reading more, um, The First Buddhist Women by Susan Mercott. This is a really nice collection of the stories of... of this, these 500, the first 500. And then, um, this other book, what I do with it? Oh, uh, this one came out, I think more recently, The First Free Women. Um, and it's, uh, Maddie, uh, saying.
1: Can I speak to that for a sec? Yeah. So, that book was um published a few years ago mm-hmm. and then, and and the person who who wrote that stayed at aloka vihara and okay. and the nuns there helped with the with the writing and they've been under really intense attack oh. for having not been clear enough that it was um not a translation it was a inspired by the mm. um, oh that's the interesting are, yeah the people who are attacking them are all young male scholastics and it's really been mm. gut wrenching for them um, so a friend of mine who is just staying with them the oh. same, it's been very it's been really difficult and they actually Ananda Bodhi just she issued an apology. She oh, really? A apology for mm-hmm. not having represented the volume as a as inspired by, but some people misunderstood it as being a translation. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think they're the they're magic.
0: They are magic. They're beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Joni. I didn't know that. I still recommend it. <laughs> highly mm, okay well i should end here i'll dedicate the merit so mean, the benefits of us coming together practicing listening to the dharma sharing and listening May it be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in mind and body. May all beings be free. May we all be free.
1: Thank you, Kate. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you, day, day. Good night, everybody. Good night. See ya. Night. Thank you. Enjoy Wendy. Bye, sleep Well, little, oh, little oh. baby. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Good night, everyone.
1: Good night. this is to all.